Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is the one that came recommended from the Healthcare IT Today community, so I'm excited to learn more about her. She's Naomi Lenane. She's CIO and VP of Information Services at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Welcome, Naomi. Thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you have such a unique perspective, so I'm excited to dive into some of that. But before we go there, tell us a little bit about yourself and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Sure. Well, thanks again. Um, So Naomi Lenane at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I'll start. um, I'm Uh, A little bit about Dana-Farber, maybe we'll start there. Dana-Farber is both a hospital and a research institution. Um, So we're a little bit of 50-50. We do both um, patient care and research and are really known for the sort of bench to bedside, which really means that our faculty physicians are um, learning about the disease and possible treatments in their labs, and they're bringing that care to the patients in the clinics. and you know, I have a long history with Dana-Farber. Um, I've been there as an employee for 19 years, but actually wow. both of my parents um, have been, were treated there, uh, one in the oh, late 70s wow. and one in the early 80s. And so when I had that opportunity uh, to come to Dana-Farber uh, 19 years ago as a clinical analyst, um, I sort of jumped at the chance uh, to do that. Um, Dana-Farber is based in Boston, Massachusetts, I should clarify uh, there. It's mostly in eastern Massachusetts uh, with, and also a site in southern New Hampshire. So, okay. But our main campus or, or sort of uh, initial campus is Boston, and we've grown from there over the last um, 15 years or so with locations across eastern Massachusetts. Um, and as I said, I've been there uh, 19 years. I've been the CIO since 2017, uh, held uh, quite a few different roles at Dana-Farber and I've just been thrilled to have the majority of my career be dedicated to the, you know, care and treatment of cancer. Yeah, what an important cause. Uh, How is it different as CIO at a cancer institute versus maybe some of the other healthcare organizations out there? Sure, so um, it sounds like it could be really different, but I laugh that many of the core challenges are the same. Uh, If you think instead of orthopedics and cardiology fighting for your time, budget, you know, resources, you have breast oncology and thoracic oncology (laughs) fighting for your time, budget and resources. That's still fine. Uh, So you just have a different, you know, group of people. Um, But we are all sort of working towards the same. There is a nice, um, you know, focus, obviously, on, you know, treatment and and, uh, care of patients with cancer. So there, there is that singular mission. So you Mm. do work at such a mission driven organization, especially with the research piece of it, um, that I do think that might be a little different than some, you know, sort of general hospitals and, but we're all in healthcare. um, So we all want to take care of people um, and make the world sort of a healthier, better place. Um, And I will say maybe too, that uh, we do get to focus our, a lot of our software solutions Sometimes we're, you know, we're really focused on oncology, which uh, I think was maybe challenging 20 years ago. The market's very different today, but, um, you know, whereas in other healthcare organizations, you maybe have a slew of vendors to choose from. 
we did a lot of in-house development early on um, in order to sort of fill the need of oncology specific, but that's definitely changing um, as we move into more of a digital, uh, digital age here in healthcare IT. And do you think that's changed because the solutions are better equipped to solve some of the cancer problems or, you know, how, how what, you know, that is a big change. I mean, it's happened in every healthcare organization, I, I, I think to some extent, but it seems like cancer, if anywhere, might be one place where you could say, yeah, we do have unique needs. We should continue doing this. Or is it just not worth it? So I do think it's worth it to have unique solutions, um, but part of the full continuum. So I think, you know, the vendors, I think, have just learned from the last 20 years of trying to solve, you know, problems for everyone else and, and for just sort of taking care of patients and, and EHRs. They've really learned how to, you know, think about subspecialty care like oncology in the context of the greater care of a patient um, and have done a better job at sort of figuring out how to add in some of those oncology specific requirements or needs into say a core EHR, um, but also acknowledging where um, oncology does need to be different and special mm -hmm. and unique and use sort of a best of breed, you know, plug-in or tie-in to a, say a core EHR is another conversation that's really changed over the years. Um, and I think, you know, cancer, you know, impacts a lot of people. So there's just mm -hmm. as the tech industry has boomed um, and especially focused in healthcare um, and biotech and all these other industries, cancer is a focus area. So we've seen more and more vendors, you know, come into the cancer world and want to try and solve our problems, which, you know, has been a good thing for us, right? We, we need help. We want people focused on cancer. Uh, we want to partner with people and, and figure out how to take care of our patients um, and how to, you know, cure them or at least treat them so that they can continue on with, you know, healthy lives. Yeah, it seems like one of the other things I've seen is research organizations often want to like retain every single piece of data because that might help my research one day. Whereas like an urban hospital, they're like, I want to get rid of this data as quickly as possible because I don't want liability for that piece of data. Have you run into that kind of situation and had to navigate? Yeah, we do. I mean, there is such, you know, research is so important to us and data is so important to research. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we obviously have to you know, be really thoughtful about what a patient consented to and what, you know, what we can do with their information based on that consent. Um, <clears throat> but we do, uh, we do use data quite significantly to not just, you know, try and figure out how to treat you better and differently, but also how we can improve operations. I mean, yeah. cancer treatment can be, you know, many hours for some patients, lots of appointments, and so not just how to clinically treat you better, but operationally, how can we have a better experience for our patients? And so we've looked to use data um, for that as well. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I mean, I don't know why this is probably morbid of me, but you know, I thought like, what if I came down with cancer right now? How would my life change? Right. And I mean, because it is so life-changing, I think you have such a a big impact on people. That's great that you're focused on that patient experience. So 
Interesting. Well, you know, you talked about, you know, you're, you'd been at Data Farber for a while, but I, you know, dug into the, uh, the archives and I saw that you actually started your early career as a marketing rep at Meditech, which, you know, Boston, that makes sense, right? But as you look at that, like, you know, in this, you know, your history with, you know, that was early uh, health IT days, right? Uh, we're even calling it an EMR, uh, you know, when you started, I'm, you know, but it's like, yeah, because Meditech's been around 50 years, but uh, what are some of the lessons maybe you learned at that early, you know, job at an EHR vendor, you know, that you kind of bring to your position as CIO now? Sure. I mean, I do credit them for, you know, hiring a, you know, young person and, and sort of giving them the opportunities that they do, sort of throwing you out there. Um, yeah. Uh, I did work at a hospital prior to Meditech, so okay. I actually had used Meditech in wow. in a hospital that was my like high school and college part-time job um so you know they were happy to have someone who actually had used the software and i was <laughs> excited that my part-time job was you know helping me get a career um and but i do think that um you know being at being in marketing which was sort of my last job at meditech i had a couple roles there but was really i learned to tell people something, tell them again, and maybe one more time for good measure, sort of as you work through um, a conversation. And I think as a, as a healthcare IT person, uh, working with clinicians, especially, um, realizing sort of that the lingo you're using or how you're describing something is not always making sense to them, or it's not always as clear that if you sort of figure out how to say it, um, maybe say it again slightly differently and maybe a third time, you know, in marketing, that's how it works. And I think it's also helped me in my career to think about how to explain something to people, um, how to how to ask the right questions, all of those things that work when you're trying to sell somebody something um, help you be or helped me, I think, be a better analyst when I got into the role at Dana-Farber. Yeah. It's amazing how much marketing and sales is part of like every career, whether you're marketing your project or you're marketing your approach or whether you're, you know, your, your strategy, your vision, whatever it might be that, you know, you need that marketing. That's a great, that's a good uh, tip right there. Yeah. Well, thanks. We do. We actually talk about now as CIO, how do I, how do I brand or market my department? So, you know, IT can sometimes have a, you know, get a bad rap the hardware slow or, you know, something doesn't yeah. work. Um, yet we find many times that people love the people they work with. So, you know, we want to work with this technician or this analyst is fantastic. So how do we make sure that that sort of feeling is, you know, comes out when you're talking about the whole department um, and not just that one person that you like to work with. So I haven't solved that problem yet, but that's hmm. one of the, that's one of the items on my list. One of my goals. Yeah. Here's a marketing tip. Dan Heath calls it peak experience, right? And he, he describes the Disney experience. You go and wait in long lines and you, you know, it's expensive food and the food isn't that good. And you're like, wait, that sounds like a terrible experience. Why does everyone pay absorbent amount of money to go to Disney? And he said, it's because 
you have all these bad experiences and then you have that ride or you have your kids see the princess right and have a peak experience and we only remember those peak experiences <laughs> i'm trying to think how to apply that to it right. it's like hmm, how could an it department create a yeah. peak experience for their users that's interesting yeah, right? something to think about. <laughs> So a lot's changed, right? Since you you began, uh, you know, well, what do you think the biggest change has been in technology since you you know you first started at Meditech or you know even first started at uh, Dana Farber? Sure. Um, so I was thinking about this uh, the other day that we were daisy chaining computers uh, for training when I was at Meditech um, wow. back in the day, and I started <laughs> as an implementation person, and we sort of would hook them all together. Uh, so. Uh, a lot has changed uh, mm -hmm. for sure over the last couple decades um, since I was at Meditech. Uh, but I think the one that um, I think about the most, and we sort of touched on it a little bit already with patient experience, but is the role of the patient um, mm. in their in their care and in technology. So you know, 25 years ago at Meditech, we were focused on inter-hospital operations you know, lab talking to the nurse and pharmacy and doctor's orders and tying all of those things together and sort of the, you know, boom of EHRs is all about hospital operations and sort of making your hospital work um, more efficiently, but also most importantly, mo more safely, you know, introducing patient safety uh, into all, you know, as a technology tool. Um, and, and then became the, you know, patient portals, but also now things like texting patients or telehealth or other tools at the patient's fingertips to make them um, part of the care team, you know, that they're a, you know, a member of their care team to help take care of themselves and to make their, especially in cancer care, really be part of the treatment, um, what you do, what you eat, how much exercise you get. You know, all of those things are, are critical to potentially part of how you will recover um, or how you'll, you know, respond to treatment. And so for Dana-Farber and for me, I really think about the role of the patient and what technologies we've thought about, what we've brought in, what we're hoping to do in the future, you know, and how is the patient um, at the center of all of that. And I do think that's a significant change and probably not what I would have um, predicted, you know, mm. back 25 years ago, I think we all thought it was all going to be, you know, physician systems and making their lives easier. And that has been a major focus. Um, but I'm, I, I wasn't, I did not predict, um, but I'm really thrilled to see that the role of the patient and sort of the tools that we give them, um, are now a real focus area, not just for Dana-Farber, but for sort of the industry. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it annoys me every time when people are like, why isn't the EMR engaged patients better? And I go back, I'm like, do you know the history? That wasn't why people bought it, right? I mean, the customers didn't say, I want to engage my patient. You know, they said, I want to improve communication between the lab or, you know, whatever it might be. So it's such a good, important perspective because now we're playing catch up in some ways. I mean, maybe that was a mistake, right? But it is what it is, right? And remembering that history is important. I mean, just to give us some perspective, like what are some of the top projects you're working on? What's the top three projects maybe that you're focused on right now? And what are the kind of the challenges you face in the, in the projects you're working on? Sure. Um, so there's so much going on. And obviously COVID 
um, yeah. has played There's a huge a COVID role. Project. <laughs> um, well, and it's sort of the like lingering over here that we of might course. have to stop, you know, what do we yeah. have to stop or pivot periodically to sort of address things. And so obviously mm -hmm. telehealth was huge in the last year and a half and continues to be work that we're doing, but we are actually also trying to really focus on employee experience. Okay. So as much as patient experience and thinking about, um, you know, projects to help, you know, the patient experience operational redesign or things, we also are spending a lot of time over the next year to say three years um, plus on employee experience. Um, we're doing some work with um, on workforce management, um, you know, online scheduling and other tools, really hoping to um, improve the employee experience. Uh, we are actually um, also doing some work, uh, a joint project with our communications department on a content management solution that we're hoping to really be the sort of foundation for some digital transformation that ultimately will be about the patient experience and sort of tying our web presence, you know, with these tools like a patient portal. So it's seamless to the patient. Um, I'm not sure we've done a great job historically sort of tying all of these departments together that work in silos, you know, communications doing websites and IT over here doing patient experience applications. Well, those two things should really come together. Um, I, and say, the I can't patient... believe you actually talk to your communications person. <laughs> This is groundbreaking work right here. <laughs> uh, well, I'm also responsible for philanthropy. So just think I'm tying all three of those things together is my goal in the next, say, three years to really have a unified experience for that patient. Um, so that if you go to our website, you're not then directed to sort of this whole other set of tools and things that mm -hmm. look so different to actually become a patient, that it really should be, you know, they say digital front door, but it, and, you know, I, I think that's the right, the right way to think about it and to collaborate with these other departments and, and not be siloed. So um, that's, you know, a multi-year project that I'm, that I'm definitely working on. Um, so I think, you know, from my perspective, it really is the employee piece um, and focusing on that, which, which, as I said, we're doing some workforce management. We're also looking to do an ERP uh, okay. project. And so that's all about your free human time. resources <laughs> and, you know, those, those one. things. It's going to be big, you know, supply chain, but all those things that as an employee, you know, are the, things that drive you crazy about your job, right? So how do we make that experience better for people? And with, you know, hashtag the great resignation, focusing yeah. on our employees is important right now yeah. um, and should be always critical, but, you know, especially now. Um, and then focusing on our patients. And I do think this content management solution, which is really foundational and sort of doesn't sound super exciting, except when you think about what it can be, where you can grow from sort of a platform like that. Yeah. And it matters to the patient who hits your website and is lost and they're already lost in their cancer journey, right? I mean, that, that makes yeah, a lot of sense want, to focus there. We want their patient education to be available and we don't want it to just be some big search and they don't really know what it is. How can we know who you are? or somehow personalize your web experience. I mean, those are the things that we would love to see um, 
a collaboration between my department and communications really look like. Awesome. It's great but that you're doing let, that. I'll let you know when it's, when it's there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Again, we'll have you, we'll um, have you to our HIPMIC uh, healthcare marketing community and yeah. we'll, we'll illustrate your example. That's awesome. So as a CIO, uh, what's, what do you think the key is of being a, a good CIO leader? Sure. Um, so for me personally, you know, it's all about my people and partly, obviously I grew up at Dana-Farber is what I like uh-huh. to say. So, you know, maybe 60% of my staff are people that I've worked with for yeah. 15 plus years. They're your friends. Um, so they were friends, they were colleagues, you know, and now I'm their leader. And so I know that they do all the work, right? Like I know that I could not do most of their jobs, uh-huh. um, you know, I that I need them to be, you know, um, confident in themselves. I need them to know what, you know, know their efforts. I, I need, know their work, you know, I need strong work ethic, all that they're dedicated to the mission. So it's all about the people um, for me personally. Uh, so I think that's critical uh, in a CIO role because you can say and present whatever you want at the executive level, but as we talked about branding or marketing in your IT departments, all about the experience that they have with the technician fixing, you know, their computer or the analyst who's, you know, writing a spec. I mean, that's who people deal with. And so that's what's critical to be successful. Um, So I would focus on your, you know, I try and focus on my people. And I think that's, that for me would be key for any, any leader period, but definitely in the CIO role as well, um, because I don't, believe in technology for technology's sake you know my yeah you know my husband probably had to get me off my blackberry to an iphone you know i was <laughs> so um sure. you know that's i'm not a techie i'm not a gadget person um it's really about the people using the technology is what's important sort of technology that's not used well was not a good investment um, so your people and your users are really what will make you successful. Yeah, that's great advice. So as you look at your career, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten that maybe you could share with other CIOs or, or possibly even some aspiring CIOs? Sure. Um, so I do think, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, talking to people in their language, you know, m- minimize the whole tech, tech, techie talk. I guess. Um, But I would also say, you know, probably some of the best advice I got was to own your career, really think about where you want to go and what you want to do, because no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, (laughs) hey, you look like a great CIO candidate. Why don't you come (laughs) do this? Um, And so, you know, we we laugh, but I probably, you know, 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, um, the CIO at the time at Dana-Farber and I had a conversation and he said, you know, what are you thinking for your career? And I said, I want to be the CIO at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Wow. So when are you retiring? (laughs) (laughs) And he laughed and Uh said, well, um, wait a minute, you know, let me think about that. But, you know, we had that conversation, you know, I wanted to know what did he think it would take for me to get there? And so, I think you should own your career, think about what you want to do and have those conversations. And what, did he support you in that? Or did you have <laughs> to, you know, like talk about that? Cause I think that, uh, 
you know, that's impressive. I think many people are afraid to do stuff like that. You know, was that, was that powering and, and then he empowered you and you were lucky in that regard in some ways, or, or, or did you do other things that were, that helped make you successful? Sure. Good question. I mean, I will say he was really supportive. Maybe not day one. I think yeah, I took yeah. him, I took him you a shocked little him by the surprise. First <laughs> yeah, I, I think he was surprised. Um, but, you know, ultimately we continued the conversation. So it was something that we kept talking about. You know, he asked good questions like, why do you think you want this job? You know, what do you think that I do that you want to do? So uh-huh. understanding what the role is um, and what the work is was critical for me. Um, as well. Uh, So it was empowering um, for me to sort of say it out loud, you know, because I think I sort of said it out loud, trying to see what his reaction would be that if he would agree with me Uh or not. Um, But, you know, it's something that you you really need to take some risks. I'm not a huge risk taker, you know, I'm not um, buying Bitcoin or anything at this point. But for me, it really was that conversation. So, and he did support me. Um, I would say he, uh, you know, was um, thoughtful about what he thought some of my challenges were, or sort of, you know, weaknesses, where did I have to work? Um, what giving me opportunities to be successful. So definitely gave me project opportunities uh, to show that I could sort of, you know, work on a larger project or, you know, in, interact with leaders. So I do think as a leader, that's something I, I remember and think about who, who are you offering opportunities to, to be part of a conversation or to listen in on a meeting or to do a presentation. So they have exposure to senior leadership. You know, he definitely did all of that for me, which was really helpful and made um, others, I think, comfortable when the time came um, to see me as a candidate and really see that I could make that transition and sort of move into the role um, and not say, well, who is that? We've never seen her before. You know, I definitely was at yeah. the table and he sort of gave me those opportunities. There's a powerful lesson there, I think, right? Around, you know, helping people to understand their capabilities and giving them opportunities to be visible in the organization. Uh, You were brave enough to say something. I think there's a lot of people that aren't brave enough to say something. And, you know, maybe you inspire some of those people to, to be a little braver and, (laughs) and go out on that limb. Right. Uh, You know, I I think that that's a powerful lesson. I appreciate you Mm -hmm. sharing that. Sure. No, I would say if you don't, if you're not ready to say, I want your job, ask, what is your job? Like, what do you do every day? What, what is it like? Um, can I shadow you with that? Can I go to some meetings with you? I'm just curious sort of what it's like um, in your role. Um, yeah. I think people are willing usually to, to, to do that. They want, they, it's flattering, right? If somebody yeah. says like, I want to do what you do, you're like, <laughs> okay, that means what I do sounds kind of cool. Um, so I, I would, you could start there. It's a little, maybe a little less risky. Yeah. Well, that's a soft way to say I'm interested in it and I have some aspirations without having to say, I want to take your job. So that's right. great advice. Uh, yeah. You <laughs> don't you have may... to say, when are you retiring? And I'm not sure I want somebody <laughs> to say that to me just yet. I'm not quite ready. So you're going to send this out to all your staff so in. that they know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for a bit. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I, I actually always wanted to be a CIO. 
I always thought that's what I wanted to aspire to be. And I learned what they did and I learned I was wrong. I didn't want to be a CIO. So, I mean, I think there's value even there, right. To understand some of those things and and maybe, you know, some will find like, Oh yeah, this is what I love. I love to, you know, deal with people and I love to put vision, you know, and I learned I didn't want to manage people. And so I was like, no, I don't want to be CIO. And so, you know, that's a valuable lesson. I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. No, I do think it's critical for people to figure out, do you want to manage people um, or do you want to be an individual contributor? And I did both over the last 19 years um, Mm -hmm. because being a leader is all, as I said, it's all about the people. It really isn't about sort of you and what you're doing and, and sort of some separateness. It really is about, you know, standing up for what your team is delivering because you're not doing it. <laughs> They're doing all the work and you're just, you know, the checking the budgets and sort of keeping all the lights on for them and, you know, supporting them by being sort of a person at the table um, in these executive meetings, but really they do all the work. So if you are, not, if you're not interested in watching your team grow and seeing other people succeed, if you are someone who, you know, needs to do all the tasks yourself, like it might not, being a leader might not be the right job for you. Yeah. Well, Naomi, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time and for sharing your insights and perspectives. Uh, I'm sure we'll have to have you back again, but uh, thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find all the rest of the episodes in the CIO podcast, you can check them out at healthcareitoday.com. Thanks, Naomi. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It was a good time.